In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Everytown Podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again, and Elizabeth Shelf from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and take into his underground bunker in the woods. We give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown Podcast, because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, my conversation with an occultist and practitioner of ritual and ceremonial magic. Does it have any connection to Satanism? We talk about Satanism, we're really talking about Anton Sander LaVey. And if we really study his idea of what is Satanism, it's really agnostic atheism. It's really an idea of the self as being all-powerful in this world. And LaVey espoused this whole notion that you are your own God and this life is all you've got. This podcast is brought to you by BrightBiz. If you own a business or you've dreamed of starting one, there's a helpful free guide with 36 business power tools proven to boost sales, increase income, simplify your life, and give you better results with less effort. Best of all, this business toolbox is yours absolutely free. And these are useful online tools that make doing almost anything a lot easier. 
Just visit freebusinesstoolbox.com to grab your copy. I know there are a lot of websites that offer you a special deal on something, but then they stick you in some recurring program. This isn't like that. There's no hidden thing to try. BrightBiz is giving away this guide free of charge as a means of putting their best foot forward. But all good things must come to an end, so don't wait. Grab your free guide today. Visit freebusinesstoolbox.com. Freebusinesstoolbox.com. That's freebusinesstoolbox.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Happy Friday. Friday the 13th, no less, which is very fitting because I'm going to be speaking to a dedicated occultist and practicing magician in just a few moments. Please note that magician in this case is uh, spelt with a K, not a C. We're not talking about David Blaine or David Copperfield here. I will actually meet uh, this gentleman in person this summer because I've been invited to speak at the 2018 Occulticon which is a gathering of pagans, druids, Wiccans, and occultists up in Holstein, Ontario, about 90 minutes from here, at the Mythwood Event Grounds. It takes place over three days, July 13th, 14th, and 15th. I'll be there speaking on the Saturday, the 14th of July. And I'm told they have a a replica of Stonehenge on the property, so I'm looking forward to checking that out. I'll give you more details on Occulticon shortly. Next week, just a programming note, I'm stepping away from the podcast just for a week. New podcasts will begin dropping again Monday, April 23rd, and my guest at that time will be paranormal researcher Joshua P. Warren. Frater Archeus is the founder and current Magister of the Order of the Temple of Archaelum, a practicing ceremonial lodge and initiatory society located in London, Ontario. For more than a dozen years, the OTA has offered a probationer program that allows serious, committed, dedicated students to learn the fundamentals of the ceremonial and ritual magic process. Upon successful completion of the probation program, he or she may be considered for membership in the Lodge by Initiation. Frater Archeus was also the founding member of the London Pagan Temple and has chaired several significant pagan conventions. Maintaining a strong media presence, Frater Archeus has written articles pertaining to occult pursuits and has represented the community on television. A practicing magician as well as a dedicated occultist, Frater Archeus has written and contributed to rituals and various traditions and capacities. He was initiated into the craft on the full moon of Friday October the 13th, 2000. He maintains relationships with his own Masonic Blue Lodge and other established pagan organizations, including the Wiccan Church of Canada in Toronto and Hamilton and the Ordo Templi Orientis worldwide. By day, Father Archaeus is a respected college professor and dedicated instructor of the subjects of his professional and academic pursuits. Prater Archaeus, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me on tonight. 
first thing we should do is is mention uh, Occulticon, uh, which is happening. Let's see the uh, the dates are July. Is it thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth? Do I have that correct? I believe that. I believe that's correct for 2018. That's right. July 13, 14, 15. And you're, uh, you're going to be one of the guest speakers. Can you tell us a little bit about Occulticon? I'll be, uh, appearing there as a, as a special guest as well. And, um, oh, great. I guess it's about an hour and a half from where I'm sitting here, just north of Toronto in Holstein, Ontario. Uh, but what else can you tell us about Occulticon? Well, it is held at the most magical place in Ontario. It's held at Mythwood Campground. And uh, the people at Mythwood, uh, Cayman and some of the other people that have uh, shaped this campground, have just done amazing things with this place. It's, it's, a, it's a campground. It's a gathering place. There's a Stonehenge. Uh, there are, there's woods with paths and trails. And it's really something that needs to be experienced. It's a great little area, especially for this type of gathering. Now, you, uh, your um, name, Frater Arceus, what does that mean exactly? Well, Frater is, uh, is, a, is a phrase meaning brother, um, and we tend to address each other in our lodge structure as, as Fraters and Sorers, in other words, brothers and sisters. Um, and the name Arceus is simply a, uh, a magical name that I've adopted uh, for myself in, in use uh, when in lodge and when dealing with lodge people and so on and so forth. And also as a, as a, as a persona, uh, which keeps my normal, everyday, mundane vocation separate from my spiritual yearnings. Sure. And you are current magister of the Order of the Temple of Archalem, is that correct? Archalem? That's correct. And yes. what is, what is, yes. what is uh, the Order of the Temple of Archalem? We are a... Um we're a ceremonial magic lodge, and we practice both ceremonial and ritual magic in the Western esoteric tradition. Um, we've been established for 15 years now, and uh, fundamentally, um, we're uh, practicing people uh, who are seeking esoteric spiritual development um, without dogma or religion. But could one be a practicing, let's say, a Catholic uh, and also belong to the Lodge, or could one be a Buddhist and belong to the Lodge, or uh, is it, does it have a, a sort of a, a spiritual tradition all its own? Well, I'm so glad you asked that. And I, I, the answer to the question is yes, you absolutely can be uh, a, a Christian practicing magician or a, a Catholic practicing magician or a, or a Buddhist. And, and we have people who are members of our lodge that uh, follow, uh, for example, a, a Judeo-Christian path and yet are still very interested in the teachings and the processes of ceremonial and ritual magic. Magic with a K. M-A-G-I-C-K. Why, why the K? Well, there's varying theories on that. Some say that it was an Aleister Crowley invention to just differentiate from the sort of magic that you would expect to see uh, from David Copperfield, for example, or uh, or uh, David Blaine, or one of these uh, uh, magicians who are practicing a, a performance art in the form of a trickery. Um, magic with a K refers more to what um, essentially Aleister Crowley called the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. And do you do you sort of look to Al Aleister Crowley for um, 
I guess, to inform your lodge's traditions and so forth? That's a great question. We, we have absolutely unabashedly begged, borrowed, and stolen from traditions right through what we consider the Western esoteric set of, of traditions. So we have uh, aspects within our lodge of, of, of subscribing to hermetic theory and philosophy. Um, we employ Kabbalistic teachings. Uh, we use the tree of life, for example, as a metaphor for creation of the universe or creation in the universe. We use the Kabbalistic worlds as a metaphor for levels of consciousness. We have borrowed and, and adopted various rites and rituals from the Golden Dawn tradition. Um, we have uh, borrowed uh, rites and processes from the Order of the Temple of Astarte in, uh, in California, which is Polk Runyon's group. We uh, follow some OTO and Thelemic teachers and teachings of Aleister Crowley, and we have uh, unabashedly... Uh, uh, put together our own little thing, but using you know, what was out there, what was available. We decided there's no reason to invent, reinvent the wheel, per se. Uh, we just have to maybe change some of the spokes. And what is ritual magic? Uh, that, another great question. Now, ritual magic, as it differs from ceremonial magic, is, is basically the, um, the, the, a practice of, of, of essentially self-development, but for a specific purpose, with a specific goal in mind. Ceremonial magic, on the other hand, uh, really has more to do with um, ceremony and, and, and honoring an event or honoring a process. So, so for example, in yes. our lodge, Go ahead. We, um, we, have, we practice minimum four times a year together as a group, and those four times are ceremonial rituals, rituals sorry, um, uh, surrounding ourselves uh, within the, the two solstices and the two equinoxes. So those are our ceremonial practices. And then we have some higher degree ritual practices as well that we, uh, that we engage in. But how is magic with a K? I mean, is it, is it real? Uh, how does it influence us? Well, it's, magic is all around us. If you take Aleister Crowley's um, definition as, as a good example of, of, a, of, of a definition of what magic is, then you could consider almost every human act of creation to be an act of magic. If it's, if it's utilizing science and art uh, to cause some change in conformity with will, then if we have a notion or a creative idea and we surround it with enough emotion and something is created from that, we have performed an act of magic. And um, what we're really talking about here, though, is we're really talking about uh, what's going on inside our heads and what's going on inside our minds. It's, it's performance psychodrama to change our internal mindset about things. But but is there uh, a component of it that involves spell casting, for example? Well, that's 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 one way of putting it. Um, certain traditions, for example, Wiccan traditions, tend to think about uh, the way they are uh, trying to manifest that change through through spells and spell casting. We don't use that particular turn of phrase. Um, others may call it prayer. Um, some may call it meditation, um, and so we just we look at it very much from a, uh, a nonconformist perspective. We're just sort of saying we're trying to what, what can we change internally in ourselves to cause an external change in our lives. Uh, what about white magic versus black magic? Yeah, we draw a very sort of nondescript distinction between those things. It's all about intent. 
Um, we, we use the analogy of fire. Fire is good or bad. Fire can cook our food and warm our homes, and it can burn down everything that we own and everything that we love. So we don't tend to look at magic as being either white or black. It simply is, and it really revolves around the intent of the of the practitioner um, in terms of what they're trying to, to do with it. Um, but, again, by definition, with, with Crowley's definition, you've got to understand the corollary to that definition, which is that physical things can only change as much as the physical realm will allow them to change. I mean, we live in a universe of possibilities, but we live in a world of probability. And so we're very aware of the fact that conformance to the will and making change is really all about what's going on inside of our heads. There's so much uh, controversy surrounding Crowley. And uh, so let me just ask you point blank. Was he a Satanist or a Luciferian? Mm, I don't think either of the above. I mean, first of, all, first of all, if we talk about Satanism, we're really talking about uh, Anton Sander LaVey. And if we really study his idea of what is Satanism, it's, it's really... Um, agnostic atheism it's really an idea of 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 the the self as being all powerful in this world um and levey espoused this whole notion that that uh you are your own god and this life is all you've got and you make that into exactly what you want to make it so i don't really think that crowley was in any way a satanist um, what about, uh, were there aspects of Luciferianism uh, in his uh, tradition? You know, the, the, the whole Luciferianism thing is an interesting concept, because you really, if you really look at it, uh, uh, Lucifer, if there is such a being at all, and you have to sort of understand that, that we, we pride ourselves on a, on a process of what we call gnosis uh, or self-gnosis, um, we, we try to act the fool, meaning that in a tarot kind of way, we begin by saying we know nothing, and we're going to see what we can find out. So the whole idea of Lucifer is interesting because Lucifer really is the bringer of light. Um, and I think Lucifer has been um, maligned, if you will, as a, uh, as, as a, as a being or as an archetype um, by religion. Do you think that magic is uh, compatible with with modern science? <laughs> that's that's great. Yes, I mean I think it is because, and and here's why I think so. Uh, I think the deeper that science goes into quantum mechanics, for example, and the way the universe works, um, the more mysterious it becomes, and the more they discover that old adages and ideas um, fit the realm of what is known to be possible in a quantum world. Could you give me an example uh, of that? Well, um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, quantum mechanics has discovered that uh, particles and, and, and individual uh, electrons will, will leap a great distance, will disappear and reappear in other places. And so communication over long distances um, is possible, and so if you if you look at that and you go, well, then telekinesis or 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 any of these uh, uh, communication uh, between people where they're not able to communicate can that happen? And all of a sudden, it becomes within the realm of possibility. Have you witnessed 
sort of a, a, a manifestation that you were describing earlier where you you imagine something in the mind? I mean, obviously, you know, if one can imagine a painting and you can create a painting, but I mean something more perhaps mystical. Well, I mean, I guess that depends on whether you put the our world into that mystical realm. I mean, I've got lots of personal examples of how um, I have experienced things that were otherwise perhaps unexplainable um, or or at least strange, uh, if you will. But one of the first things we teach is is we teach that you've got to develop a magical mindset. And to develop a magical mindset, a good starting point is to eliminate the concept of coincidence. And as soon as you do that, you start to see the whole world around you as a much more magical place than you would think it was. That's really so, true. Yeah, my, one need only pay attention. I, I've noticed that uh, of of late. I mean, one might one could skeptics dismiss that, and they say that the human brain is or the human mind is designed to to find patterns where they may not otherwise exist. We 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 create order. We need to create that. That's I, I guess something that's innate in the human condition. But I'm not necessarily convinced of that. Well, there's a well-known magical law and axiom called the law of of attention. And the more evidence one looks for to support a given law or conclusion, the more chances that you're going to find that particular conclusion. So I do believe that the law of attention um, plays a definite role in in having developing that magical mindset, Um, you know, as does as do so many of the other uh, magical laws and axioms that, that are that are commonly associated with magical practice, like the law of uh, the law of contagion, for 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 example, a law of contagion, which is a corollary of the law of association, says that once things are in contact, they continue to interact even after separation in the physical realm. Anything once in contact uh, may be um, used as a witness or may be used to describe, for example. You and I don't really know each other that well yet. I'm sure we're going to get a chance to do that. But at some point in time, I'm now going to be associated with your show. And you're now going to be associated with my lodge. Right, right. Okay. Uh, So we look to these magical laws and axioms to change our mindset about the reality of the world around us. So so getting back to this magical mindset, and you said that you have witnessed strange things, things that you couldn't otherwise explain. Could you give me some examples of that? Well, sure. I mean, in an everyday sense, and haven't we all done this? Haven't we all, for some reason or another, been thinking about a person or a friend who hasn't talked to us in a while or who we haven't been in touch with? And then almost suddenly, for no explicable reason, they appear in our lives in some way. Or you're just thinking about somebody and they call you or... Um, you know, I've, I've had friends uh, personally, for example, I had a friend once who was in dire need, could not get in touch with me, and I felt suddenly compelled to call her for no particular reason, just to say hello. And there she was saying, I'm so glad you called. How did that happen? And, you know, the, the answer is, yeah, that that's not abnormal, really. It's something that happens to us all the time. But we tend to write it off, right? We tend to say, well, that was kind of an interesting coincidence. Well, maybe it wasn't a coincidence. Maybe we were plucking a, a thread in the universal consciousness that we just didn't understand that we were plucking. Would that be an example of the law of contagion you mentioned earlier? Um, no, I think that that, that doesn't really uh, fit that as much as it, as it applies to maybe the law of connection. Um, every action is an energy exchange. So 
when you when you when you have a thought, that thought is transmitted, and whether or not it vibrates at a particular frequency and is picked up by somebody else, for example, that you know that could very well happen. I think. What What does your tradition? tell you about what happens to us after we die do you subscribe to a spirit world well first of all i got to go back to say that we, we we try to start off the fool and say we know nothing and uh, we'll try to figure out what we can learn in that process um nobody has the answers that's the one thing that we've learned from all of this is that there are there's no one path there is no one way there is no way of knowing what happens to us after we die but we have some theories um, based on what we feel we've learned through this process. And I think some of our theories include the fact that many of the people that I associate with uh, do have a very strong sense that there, there's a possibility that consciousness can survive um, because we are not actually separate from the universe. Uh, Lon Milo Duquette, who is an associate of ours and a very famous author uh, has said nothing can happen outside of your head because there is no outside of your head. If we participate in creation, if we are part of the universal mindset, then why is it that we, that some aspect of consciousness might not continue into other realms of existence that we just simply don't understand or aren't able to, to see or, or manifest at this particular plane on this particular level of existence? Crowley talked about paranormal effects. Uh, what did he mean by that? Well, I'm not. I'm not really sure where he was going or where that particular paraphrase came from. But um, anything "quote unquote" paranormal would be probably considered to be something outside of the realm of what we we normally understand and associate with this life on Earth. But when you think about it, nothing can possibly really be paranormal. Um, if we are living in a universe of infinite possibilities, which is essentially what the universe is, it's just a realm of possibilities. Um, if that's true, then nothing is really impossible. So how can anything that happens to us in this life become outside of what is possible? In other words, what would be paranormal? So we're living in a universe of possibilities. I like that. Here's something certainly within the realm of possibility. Having the well-behaved, obedient, loving pet you've always dreamed of. If you have a dog, how would you like to develop your dog's hidden intelligence to eliminate bad behavior and create the obedient, well-behaved pet of your dreams? A woman named Adrienne Ferricelli, a professional certified dog trainer, has helped hundreds of dog owners train their dogs to be well-behaved, obedient, loving pets by bringing out the hidden intelligence inside all dogs. You can quickly eliminate any behavioral problem your dog has, no matter how badly you think it's ingrained, no matter what kind of dog you have. The science behind this is simple. You may have heard of neuroplasticity in the human brain. That's what allows our brain to learn new behaviors. Well, your dog's brain has the same plasticity. With the right mental stimulation that Adrian teaches, any dog's brain will become more open and receptive to learning new information. Your dog will listen to you and understand what you want it to do. When this happens, bad behaviors simply fade away as more desirable ones appear in their place. So, if you want to check out this remarkable dog training system, just visit realbusinessbargains.com. That's realbusinessbargains.com. 
realbusinessbargains.com. Realbusinessbargains.com. Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We have bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. Conspiracy Unlimited. With Richard Serrett. Dedicated occultist, practicing magician, Frater Archeus is with me. Let's talk about some of the practical levels of, of magic. There's some something called banishing. Yeah. What is the meaning of banishing? What is the purpose of a banishing ritual? Yeah. So we tend to start all of our rituals with what we call a banishing. And um, at, a, at, at one level, a banishing is simply... Uh, sort of a psychic cleansing of space, if you will. So if you're about to undertake some operation or some uh, process, you'll want to set up your tools. You want to get your space ready to work. And from a psychic or, or, or um, a psychological perspective, that space includes your mindset. And so what a banishing tends to do, especially from our perspective in, in our particular practice is it cleanses the mind. It changes your mindset from the everyday mundane world in which you are existing, living and breathing and eating and so on, to uh, a slightly elevated mindset in which you are now going to look deeper into your own psychology. And so a banishing ritual takes that sort of mundane space and says, get lost. Um, I'm going somewhere else now. I want to be in a different mindset. I want to be in a different space. And so we use the banishing ritual um, to personify, if you will, that process. To say, we're clearing this space. The space is now empty and void of all other influences so that so that we can focus directly on our own spiritual growth and development. Oh, does it involve a pentagram? Uh, we employ a ritual called a ritual of the pentagram. Um, the ritual of the pentagram is a, is a golden dawn construct, um, and we've modified it to be used in both a banishing and in an invoking process. Uh, we start off using it in a banishing way. In other words, our mindset is is tuned to the idea of cleansing the space, and then we re-employ the ritual later on, or the rite, if you will, later on, within the overall ritual practice to then bring in those um, archetypal ideas and, and uh, constructs that we want to associate with in a ritual headspace. So at a terrestrial level, we very much look at the, the four quadrants, and you'll see this common thread throughout many, many pagan practices, sort of the north, east, west, south, earth, water, fire, air uh, concepts, or angelic concepts, or archangelic concepts. And so we associate certain traits with certain quadrants. So we'll say the east, which represents air, has got to do with healing, has got to do with knowledge and gnosis. And we'll say that fire, uh, which is in the south, has to do with willpower and force, and and we'll ascribe uh, ideas of, of uh, love and unity and acceptance and beauty into the west with water. Um, and then we'll take the earth, which is the mother, which is where we live, uh, which is uh, solidity, and we ascribe concepts to the West and so on. And so we'll bring in archetypal uh, archangelic um, powers or energies um, into our realm, if you will, or into our circle. Frater Archeus uh, is with us, uh, Magister OTA. And uh, the OTA order, um, what is the order again? How do we say that? 
Order of the te- Order of the Temple of Achalam. Achalam, Order of the Temple of Achalam, and uh, he will be a guest speaker at Occulticon 2018, and uh, I'll be there in attendance as well, July 13th, 14th, and 15th at the Mythwood uh, Grounds, event grounds, up in Holstein, Ontario, and if you want to register, uh, you can go to occulticon.ca, O-C-C-U-L-T-I-C-O-N.ca, Occulticon. Dot CA. And um, again, July 13th, 14th, 15th, Mythwood Event Grounds in Holstein, Ontario. Uh, what about purification? We talked about banishing. Let's talk now about purification. Yeah, um, that you're bringing up exactly our ritual construct. We, we start with the idea of uh, banishing the space. Um, we then go into a process of what we sort of commonly call, pragmatically call, grounding and centering. And we employ a ritual called the Kabbalistic Cross Ritual to do that and get ourselves into that exact mindset. Um, and then we will we will start to bring in and invoke those, those energies. But before we do that, we feel that we need to cleanse and purify the space, um, essentially make ready for the archetypal ideas that we're trying to bring forward into our mindset. And so there's a ritual employed called a ritual of purification uh, in which we essentially uh, go around the circle, which becomes our outer consciousness and um, cleanse the space um, using essentially another magical law uh, called the law of similarity. So we we base our ritual on the law of similarity, which is basically that um, cause and effect resemble each other. Um, In other words, things that, uh, that seem alike are alike. So we will um, cleanse the space with water, and and we see that same sort of ritual application in Catholic ceremonies, for example. Um, And we will cleanse the space with fire, and uh, we'll use incense to purify the space at that level. Um, And then uh, the space will be considered to be purified and consecrated. Uh, I'm not sure whether this falls under purification or banishing, but are you purifying the space from, let's say, dark forces, demons, for example. Does that concept come up uh, in your tradition? Are there demons? Do you banish demons, purify the space from demons? Do you invoke the angels? Yeah, we we tend to work more with archangelic forces and invoke those forces um, into our consciousness. But we're well aware of the role of, of, of demons, and I... I, I hesitate to use the word because people just immediately have such a, a, a nasty idea of what demons are. But, but demons can be something like jealousy, for example. Um, if you consider jealousy as a demon that lives inside of you, if you want to banish that demon, you can do that. You just have to be prepared to essentially shoo it from your consciousness and make it so that it does no, it no longer has any control over you. Um, and so the idea of banishing demons certainly can be a magical idea and comes into the realm of what it is that, that we're trying to do as we become spiritually uh, better people and spiritually whole. 
As part of that purification, for example, in the Christian tradition, uh, we're now into the uh, the Easter uh, season, and there is a period called Great Lent, 40 days of fasting, which is kind of a purification. And it's important not only to, you know, be mindful of what we put in our mouth, but also what comes out of our mouth. Is there kind of a a similar, um, were the ancient magicians, for example, were they... Were they abstaining from certain things during a certain period of, of time in the calendar? Absolutely, and especially pre-ritual. Um, if you read some of the old grimoires, you, you get caught in the minutia of the preparation processes, which are often considerably more detailed than the actual rite or practice itself. Um, the idea uh, of, of, of becoming pure can involve fasting, can involve bathing, can involve cleansing, can involve abstinence um, from any vice, sexual content, uh, contact, um, and those kinds of things. But really what they're all about is they're really all about setting the mind. Uh, they're really all about uh, getting into that headspace where you are able to leave the mundane and get into that more uh, spiritual realm inside your head so that you can then make the changes internally that you want to make. So banishing, purification, I guess consecration is next. Yeah, consecrating the space. Um, it's, it's, it's what happens uh, within our ritual construct after the purification rite. There's a rite of consecration. Um, we bring in those, uh, once we are ready to invite those archetypal images, uh, personifications of, of archetypal um, archangels or whatever you want to use to bring into yourself, uh, to invoke into yourself, um, we consecrate the space so that we're ready to accept those energies. You mentioned uh, the word evoke. There is an. What is the difference between an invocation and an evocation? An evocation uh, tends to be where you're trying to take something internally and bring it forward. Um, for example, in the in the ancient grimoires, the exorcism of a demon would be an evocation. Um, in an in invocation, you're trying to take. Uh, conscious archetypes and bring them into you. So if you want to become a more confident person or a stronger person, you might look to the archetype uh, or the archangel Michael, um, who represents those sorts of energies, and you'll try to bring some of that energy into yourself. Um, if you're looking to um, heal if you are not well and you're looking to heal, you might look to do an invocation of Raphael or those Eastern um, air cleansing healing forces and bring those into your own consciousness and bring those into yourself. So an invocation, you're bringing spiritual uh, forces in and evocation, you're taking things and bringing them forward. Does astral travel um, play a play a part in your tradition? It doesn't really. Um, I don't think anybody in our tradition would say that that's not possible, and I think that people certainly have experimented with it. Um, but it's not something that we're particularly teaching uh, in our probationer degree program or or uh, anything like that. No. Now, here's something interesting that I've just learned, and that is the, the idea of uh, the Eucharist. 
uh, we have obviously the Eucharist in, in, the, in, the, in the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church and other places where, you know, you take communion and so forth. Mm-hmm. What does the Eucharist mean in your tradition? We, we have a, a form of Eucharist uh, um, celebration, uh, which we call the Magical Eucharist. And in our tradition, um, we're not um, cannibalistically eating a body of anybody. We are simply partaking in the sensual experiences of the various um, archetypes or quadrants. So, for example, in our Magical Eucharist, uh, we start with uh, a bit of bread, which is which represents the concept of earth, uh, or a little bit of bread, maybe even dipped in a bit of salt, which again brings that earthly realm into our bodies. Uh, we will then uh, embody the spirit of water in a goblet of wine, um, and the wine will then be the water. Um, we will experience the scent of the of the incense and bring some incense around and everybody experiences that scent of incense or the scent of a rose for example we often use a rose uh to to get that sensual experience through through the nose Uh, and then we bring around a bowl of fire and we experience the heat and the warmth of that fire and those four uh fundamental ideas in our tradition form what we call the magical eucharist so we are bringing those things into our our bodies um, but we're not necessarily ascribing them to uh, to a particular um, idea. We're just saying, let's experience this bread of the earth. Let's experience the wine of of of, of the water, or the water of the wine. Let's experience the the smell of the rose uh, or the incense, and let's feel the warmth of the fire. How closely is your your tradition uh, related to the Wiccan religion or Druids? Uh, the Druidisms. We have a lot of crossovers um, in terms of not only the way we practice, but also the whole idea of the of the of the four terrestrial quadrants and so on and so forth. Um, plus, our tradition has a very close association with others, so we are very uh, aligned with the Wiccan Church of Canada. Um, both Richard and Tamara James are personal friends, and uh, we've. We've helped them, and we've worked with them, and they've certainly helped us and worked with us uh, to form our traditions. Um, we've looked at them as being the elders in the community, for example, and we've learned from them. Um, and we cooperate with each other. So every once in a while, we'll go to, say, the Hamilton Temple of the Wiccan Church of Canada, and we'll do a ritual uh, presentation, or we will do some form of education or something like that. And uh, our Druid connection goes through John Michael Greer. Uh, John Michael Greer is an honorary third-degree member of our lodge, and uh, John, of course, was uh, probably the, I think he was the, the Arch-Druid for North America up until a few years ago. And um, we have a, a close association with, with those respected traditions as well. What are you going to be uh, speaking about at Occulticon? This year, I plan to revolve my talk around the importance of the ritual process, uh, applications of ritual for spiritual growth. And so I'll examine, I hope to examine for the short period of time that, I, that I'll have um, why ritual is important to us, uh, what the processes of ritual are, um, how to apply them to your own life, and how to apply ritual to um, Make your uh, make your life better. Uh, become more enlightened and become more connected with spirit. And uh, what day are you speaking? 
Oh, I have no idea, Richard. Uh, I've not been given a schedule yet. So All right, I don't really know. But you'll yeah, be are you you'll be there the full three days, July thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth. We plan to be there the full three days, as we understand it. Um, uh, Cayman would like our lodge to be present again. Last year, we actually uh, took care of the main ritual for the event. We had 75 people in circle, which was really something, especially around this magical Stonehenge. And we did a little initiatory ritual for everybody. And this year, I, I don't know what our role is going to be just yet, but um, we'll find out as the as Occulticon continues to develop its workshops and guests. And um, and I'll find out when I'm speaking. Um, I don't really know the, the time or the day yet. July 13th, 14th, 15th, Mythwood Event Grounds. That's up in Holstein, Ontario, which I'm told is about uh, maybe an hour and a half or maybe closer to an hour from uh, the, the, the greater Toronto area. All Things Curious, All Things Occult, Occulticon 2018, and you can register and see the list of special guests. I'll be there uh, as well. I'll be there on the 14th, which is the Saturday. And uh, again, that's occulticon.ca. Tell me about the uh, the Stonehenge uh, replica that's been constructed there. How big is it and, and uh, what is wow. its purpose? It's huge. Um, it's huge. Um, if, if we had everybody standing around the outer part of the circle, everybody would be would have been pretty spaced out. So if you can imagine 75 people standing in circle, um, it's it's huge. Um, they've, uh, as I understand it, it's oriented very much like Stonehenge would be in England. Uh, it has a very huge center rock which we employed as an altar, um, and uh, the, the space itself just is very. Um, very healing. It feels very, very good there. Uh, they've, they've done a, a lot of, there's a lot of energy that's gone into it. And I think you can feel that energy when you go there and you stand in that circle. I hope that, um, I hope that uh, whoever ends up doing the main ritual for this event um, takes advantage of that amazing space. How are those rocks lift put in place? Did they use a crane? But, that's a great question. I don't know. They must have used heavy equipment um, because the, the, the stones are quite big. Um, that'll be a great question for Cayman if he gets to be a guest on one of your shows, Richard. Absolutely. And and how does one infuse this energy into Stonehenge? Is it is it built on a ley line, do we know, or or is it simply the energy is in the stone itself? Well, I, I, I don't know whether it's built on a ley line, to be honest with you, Richard, but I can tell you that from personal experience, having been there and having been in circle with 75 people standing around, it, uh, there was a lot of energy there. And it's just a magical place. You go there and you just feel such calm and such, uh, such beauty. And you realize the people that are working on this place are really, really um, intent on making this a, 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 a magical place and making it a place of, uh, of, of calm serenity and learning. It's, it's just amazing. I, I, I can't wait for you to see it. I think you'll be blown away. I really do. Looking forward to it. Frater RKS. And uh, we will see you July. Well, I'll see you on the 14th. But again, it's Occulticon 2018, Mythwood Event Grounds, July 13, 14, 15, occulticon.ca for uh, a list of special guests and the schedule and uh, to register. So uh, thanks very much for this. Appreciate it. Great meeting you. Well, it was great meeting you uh, this way, Richard. I look forward to shaking your hand, and um, we'll uh, look forward to uh, hopefully um, getting people out to Occulticon to learn about all things hidden. Um, and uh, remember, just because things aren't hidden doesn't mean they can't be found. Excellent. I think I'll use that. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, Frater. 
Well, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, just a reminder, I'm taking next week off to put my feet up, catch my breath, and recharge my batteries. New episodes of Conspiracy Unlimited will begin dropping again Monday, April the 23rd. So it's a good time to catch up on some of the episodes you've missed or listen again to some of your favorites. In just a moment, the draw. One lucky listener will win a copy of my Strange Planet CD, Volume 1. If you want to get in on the weekly draw, just rate and review this podcast. Grab a screenshot of that, and then email it to me at richardserrett one at gmail.com. And don't forget to include your full name and mailing address. And then be listening every Friday. Before the draw, let me remind you again about this fabulous product I've discovered, Life Extension's Mega Green Tea Extract. It provides powerful antioxidant effects throughout the body. Green tea contains health-promoting polyphenols, including a powerful antioxidant, which has been the subject of extensive scientific research. Why not pour on these multiple health benefits for yourself? Green tea is a powerful antioxidant. It supports cell membrane integrity, boosts liver detoxification, enhances immune function, and helps maintain healthy blood cholesterol, LDL and triglyceride levels, and much more. Life Extension's Mega Green Tea Extract is decaffeinated, yet it contains more polyphenols in one capsule than seven cups of green tea. The Chinese have been using green tea for therapeutic purposes since 2000 BC. And more recently, volumes of published scientific findings attest to its multiple health benefits. One capsule a day of mega green tea extract is all you need. Give your body what it needs. Order right now from Life Extension and save 25%. Just go to smartclickidea.com. That's smartclickidea.com. Smartclickidea.com. All right, last order of business. Time for the weekly draw. All right. And this week's winner is Pam Roach. Or Rock. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Pam, R-O-C-H-E. Forgive me if I've mispronounced. Pam Roach, or Rock, of Oak Lake, Manitoba. Pam, congratulations. And your copy of Strange Planet Volume 1 will go out in the post first thing Monday morning. Back with a brand new episode Monday, April the 23rd with paranormal researcher Joshua P. Warren. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 